Father, uh, today we're, we're excited to be here. Lord, it's a good thing to come and sit in the presence of our Lord. And, and I do pray, God, that as we, as we open your word and, God, as we kind of, in my mind, sit on that hillside and listen to you, I, I, I pray, God, what you have to say, the, the seriousness, the severity of, of what is represented in, in this portion of scripture today would impact our lives and our hearts. God, it wouldn't be something, oh, yeah, I know that parable, or, oh, I've heard that before, and, and just kind of blow it off. But, Lord, we would sit up, and we would take notice, and we would pay attention. Because I believe your heart, God, your heart is that everyone would come to the knowledge and the understanding of our, our Lord Jesus Christ and, 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 and surrender our lives to you. And so, Lord, speak to us this morning. Have your way with us, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we've been looking at the second coming of Christ for a while, and you know, at his first coming, a lot of people missed him. And it wasn't because they weren't told, it wasn't because there wasn't prophecy given, it wasn't because there wasn't so-called a roadmap laid out, it was because they weren't ready, they weren't prepared. And now Jesus begins this section here as he's answering the question. If you remember a few weeks ago, we started out, here was the question. Tell us when these things will happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Don't ever, don't ever drift from that question. That question was in the beginning of chapter 24 and he's still answering that. And they want to know, hey, they're curious. Now, I like to remind us also that Jesus is sitting on a hillside with his disciples. This isn't a, listen, this isn't a seminary class, uh, uh, you know, where everybody's behind a desk and everybody has notes and, and, and going. It's not teaching and everybody get their end times squared away, their eschatology. This is Jesus telling some boys, if you will, I like to call them the boys, here's what's going down. And you need to know this is really gonna happen. And he loves them, he cares for them, he's preparing them. Hey, it's not so that they can get everything perfect. It's so that they can be ready when he comes. And they won't be shocked when it happens. Now, it still hasn't happened. So he's speaking to us in this generation. So we need to sit on a hillside and listen to him. Hey, I think it's important to study uh, theology. I, I love to study theology. I have a lot of theological works in my, in, in my collection of books and, you know, whether it's systematic theology or, or other things. And, and I think it's important to read that and get that. But, you know, you can get so buried in that that you miss the major points that God is bringing up. And again, theology is important. But knowing Jesus is the most important and having a relationship with him. So bottom line here, he's coming to the point where he's going to tell them, are you prepared? Are you ready? And he's going to challenge them and I pray he's going to challenge us here in this room today. I pray that some of us are going to shake down to the core of our being as we listen to him. Because it's serious what he's talking about. 
Now we laid out, I know I've laid out the, you know, my position. I'm going to come at this from a premillennial, pre-tribulational rapture position, and that's my position. I explained the others, and it's okay if you disagree with that. But listen, man, that's the direction I'm going to come from because I believe that's the direction that most uh, uh, encourages to be ready at any moment. And again, I've emphasized Jesus could come back at any moment. And I'm, I'm, I'm shocked when I get up in the morning and he's not here. And I'm shocked when I go to bed that night that he didn't come. I expect he's going to show up at any time. So listen, that's what he's talking about. Now, when I gave out the different positions, I did leave two out. And one of them is drawn from what we're going to read here this morning about the ten virgins. And, and, and it's called, and I think it's lost most of its momentum, but there's one theory called the partial rapture theory, where only the spiritual will get raptured, and those who are not spiritual or not ready are going to get left behind. The thing that always cracks me up about that one is anybody you talk to who believes that one believes they're the spiritual ones. It's like I've never talked to anybody who said, nope, I'm one of the ones that's going to get left behind. It's always, you losers, you need to get it together because I've got it together and that sort of thing. So I think that's lost traction. And then the other one is one that kind of even disturbs me more. It's called the pan-tribulational theory. It'll all pan out in the end because they don't want to take any position, they don't want to study, they don't want, it bothers me when people say that, hey, come on, man up, read your Bible, and take a position. Hey, you, can, you, can, you don't have to agree with my position, but at least take a position. And they are right, it is all gonna pan out in the end, but you need to be a student of the word. And that's what Jesus is gonna challenge us in two different teachings today. So once again, let's all kind of get on that hillside, on a Mount of Olives, let's get under that olive tree, and let's just hang out and hear what the Lord has to say, answering that question, what is going to be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? When are these things going to happen? And so he starts out in 25 verse 1. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now a couple things going on. Here he's telling us that we need to be ready. And, and you know, he's giving us this illustration of a wedding. Now once again, we're not familiar with, most of us are not familiar with uh, uh, first century weddings in, uh, in, in, in uh, Israel. And in a first century wedding, there were, there were three phases. And I gotta tell you, I, I have a daughter. I am so glad I didn't live in the first century. Because I think it would cost a fortune. Because it would be forever. Weddings now are expensive, but these go on for like eons. And the first stage was the engagement period, and that could last a long time. But once they were engaged, they were considered married. We've talked about that when, we, when we've looked at uh, Joseph and Mary. And hey, then, then they took their wedding vows, and they would take their vows, and then the bride would go to her home, and the groom would go to his home. And then at an unannounced time, he would show up at the bride's home and come and get her and take her to the wedding feast. And they would enjoy this big feast. And then the person that was sort of the best man would take her hand, put it in his hand, and they would go away and they would get alone and they would consummate their marriage. How, how, how romantic, right? What a beautiful picture. But hey, that could go on forever. 
And so these bridesmaids here that we're looking at, these, these 10 virgins who, who uh, took their lamps and went, to the, uh, and went out to meet the bridegroom, their responsibility, they were like bridesmaids today, only they had a little bit more responsibility. They had to light the way for the bridegroom to come, and then they had to light the way and escort everybody back to his house. So it's kind of a huge responsibility. Now, it says that they came with their lamps, and actually the lamps were, they were more like... Uh, really torches. I don't think they had lamps they carried. I think, I think they were more like torches. And their torch, torches, they would wrap, it would just be a, a stick with, with cloth wrapped on it. And you would dip it in oil and light it and away you would go. And if the oil got low, you'd have to dip it again and light it and keep going. So these 10 virgins show up and it says, now five of them were wise and five were foolish. I gotta stop. The literal translation for that word foolish, this is a politically correct translation. The literal translation is stupid. I just got, you know, I know some people say, don't use the S word in front of my kids. That's why we have kids ministry. Hey, it literally says there were five wise and five stupid why were they stupid? Well, let's read here. And, and now every time it says, listen, it says in verse 3, those who were foolish, I know what's going on in your head, right? Those who were stupid, right? Those who were stupid took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now, I believe the reason they were foolish or stupid is for this reason, they knew what they were supposed to do. They only had, you know, it, it's always funny. When, whenever we do weddings and people are involved in the weddings and, and, you know, you have, you always have wedding rehearsals. And, and I got to be really honest. I always think how hard it is, is it to walk and stand. It's all you got to do. Walk from there to here and stand and then walk from here to there. And, and we'll practice it and then I'll go, can we practice that again? And I go, yeah, because walking and standing is difficult. So listen, you only have, you know, and people involved in a wedding, they only have one job, right? And everybody's always paranoid about it and they're scared about it. And whenever we do weddings, you know, whether it's, uh, whether it's the groomsmen or the, the, the maid of honor or the bridesmaids, they're all excited and they all do what they want to do, what they're supposed to do, and they come prepared. Here's what happened, man. The, out of these 10, and why the number 10? Hey, you can speculate on that all day long. It's crazy all the ideas people come up with. Who cares? Listen, so you had, you had these 10, and you have five prepared and five not prepared. And the five not prepared, listen carefully, they knew what they were supposed to do. They knew their, their responsibility. They knew exactly what was going on. It wasn't like this caught them off guard. They knew that they should have oil, and the oil was available. It wasn't hidden. They hadn't, didn't have to go out and dig for it and find it. It was available. They just chose to come unprepared. That's scary to me. In other words, they're stubborn. And they're people who are not prepared. Listen to these scriptures because here's some scriptures that talk to us about being ready. Psalm 95, six through eight says, oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. 
Today, you, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of the trial in the wilderness. Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Jeremiah 8, even the stork in the heavens knows her appointed times, and the turtle dove, the swift and the swallow, observe the time of their coming, but my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 3, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of the trial in the wilderness. 2 Corinthians 6, for he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time, and behold, now is the day of salvation. Hey, Jesus is coming at a time we don't know, and here's these ladies, they show up, they have one responsibility, light the way. And half of them, this is what blows my mind, half of them come prepared, half of them come unprepared. This is, I believe, a picture of what we call the visible church. And what blows my mind is we're gonna see half of the church isn't really the church. They're just pretending. And here's what he says, man, they come and they show up and they have their lamps and then it says in verse six, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Now, I hear a lot of people talking about that. Hey, they all slept. It wasn't like, wasn't like half of them slept. Everybody slept. Why? Because it's late. That's why. It's not a big deal to sleep. You know, some people go, do you sleep? Yeah, I do. Every night. How many hours? None of your business. It's like weird, right? Hey, there's, there's nothing there about them sleeping other than, it was late, then verse uh, eight, or I'm sorry, verse six says, and at midnight a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps and the foolish said to the wise, give us some, uh, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Now, this is kind of interesting to me. This is Jesus teaching, using this illustration that some people could interpret as rather selfish. Like, why didn't they share? Aren't we all supposed to share everything and redistribute the wealth? And Jesus doesn't condemn. Hey, these ladies that didn't share aren't selfish. Here's what they know. I brought my oil and I only have enough for me. And I'm sorry you didn't bring your oil, but go buy some. I mean, they, they came up with a reasonable thing, but I'm not gonna share my oil because if I share my oil, then I'm not gonna have enough oil. So therefore, you go get your own oil. And some of you are going, that still sounds selfish to me, Pat. That's because you've bought into the lie that you need to, you know, somebody owes you something and somebody should do something for you. And hey, these ladies are saying, no, it's not going to happen. And verse 10, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him into the wedding and the door was shut. That's sort of a drag reading that part, huh? Those who are ready, man, and they're still, they're having a party. They're going with the Lord. 
And I love this idea. Afterward, it says, afterward, the other virgins came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. That's terrifying. Every time I read that, it terrifies me. You see, because they weren't really who they were pretending to be. Because if they were really the bridesmaids, whatever term you want to be, they would have come with the oil. But they didn't. They chose not to. They made a decision, and that decision, listen, that decision really wrecked some things for them and put them in a horrible, horrible place. And they had to decide at that time, and they go out to buy it. And now, listen, now it's too late, and the door is shut because they weren't who they were pretending to be. First Timothy says this. I'm sorry, Second Timothy says this. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, most of us, we read that list and we're going, I'm okay on that list. I'm like not in those. Oh, here's the big one though. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. And that's what these five were doing. Hey, they had the form. They were there but they didn't have the power. Now, a lot of people say the oil represents the Holy Spirit. I'm not so sure. And I think you get carried away. Listen, if you try and define each little part of this, you're gonna get messed up. Jesus isn't wanting us to figure out why there were 10, how come five did it and five didn't, what does the oil represent, what does the bridegroom represent, is this before the tribulation or after the tribulation, when exactly the, here's what he's wanting us to understand. There were five prepared and five unprepared, period. I don't know why we always have to complicate things and mostly it's because we don't wanna, we don't wanna recognize the truth. And the truth is, some people, they just show up to church and go through the motions. And there's nothing alive in them. They don't have a drop of oil with them because they're not prepared. And he came and he shut the door. Listen, man, he shut the door. You know, that tells me that I have a responsibility. I need to examine myself to see if I'd be found in the faith. Listen to these couple passages. Matthew 7, 22 says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. That's another chilling, chilling uh, uh, passage of scripture. And then Corinthians, 2 Corinthians says this, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you're disqualified. You see, some people get uptight when they're challenged on their faith. I think it's okay. I don't care if people challenge me. I'm going to heaven. Not because I'm good. Not because I'm perfect. Not because I'm the most faithful guy that Jesus ever had on his team. I'm going to heaven because Jesus died for my sins. And his blood covers me and I believe him and I trust him. And I'm every day looking for him. And listen, man, it's okay to examine yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. 
And I think it's an important thing. I remember when I was in Bible college, I used to fly home and, and uh, I'd, I'd come home on, on a occasional on a weekend and make a whole bunch of pottery and then go back to Bible school. And, and I would fly in and Gaynell and my daughter Leah would pick me up at the airport. And she was, she was pretty young then. And I remember we'd get in the car and we'd be driving and, and, uh, and I, would always, I would always ask my daughter, you going to heaven? And she'd say, yes. And I'd say, how, how do you know that? What makes you so sure of that? And we would begin this dialogue and, and hey, I tested her all the time because I did not want my daughter thinking she was gonna go to heaven because of her dad. And I always continually did that. And I think it's a good thing. We should examine. Hey, I don't want to get at the end and go, man, I got to go get some oil. As a matter of fact, I carry oil with me every place going on. I don't really. But you know what I'm talking about. Man, look at this. And the door was shut. And then for the fifth time, since those guys asked him, what was the question? What are, when are these things going to happen? What is the sign of your coming and the end of the age, right? Fifth time, look at verse 13. Watch, therefore, for you know, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Five times Jesus has brought that up. You know what that tells me? I need to watch. You're going to foolish if you're not watching. And maybe even stupid if we want to use that term. Watch. So here's the problem, though. Some people hear that part, and we think, I need to go get on the top of Miller Peak and just hang out and watch and see if Jesus is showing up. So Jesus answers that because, hey, he knows. He knows human nature, right? He knows us. And, and I think even the, 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 the disciples there, their, their wills are turning. Hey, I could be doing this, or I could be doing that. And so Jesus is looking at him. Hey, oh, wait, wait, wait. I don't want you guys thinking that's all you're supposed to do. So next verse, in verse 14, he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, and to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. So once again, Jesus is not giving us, uh, you know, an allegory that we have to figure out each part, and how does this fit, and what is this, and what is that. Once again, he's going to teach us a truth. A parable is something to teach a truth, a story to open that up. And so Jesus here, as he's talking about this, this one who, uh, obviously a wealthy guy, and he has, he has these uh, servants. And again, slavery in that generation wasn't what brutal and horrible like the slavery here. Actually, many doctors were slaves to certain families. Teachers, you bought your own teacher. That'd be kind of cool, huh? Some of you are going, no, I'm a teacher, dude. Don't say that. But so it was a little bit different in that generation. But here's what he's saying. This guy had some. He's leaving, and he gave to each these talents. Now, I want to clarify, talent here isn't like we think of talent, right? We think of talent as someone either playing a musical instrument or singing or, you know, a talented, you know, in sports or something. It's not that. This is a unit of measure, so it's a weight that they use. So I don't want you to think, you know, well, I don't need to know talent. How come? It's, a, it's, a, it's just a weight. And it's interesting. One talent was equivalent to almost 20 years of wages. 
So now I don't want us to just get caught up in that figure, but you, you got to understand this is dealing with some pretty, pretty good stuff. So he gives one five, he gives one two, and he gives one one. But I want you to notice something. Here's the important thing. Oh, by the way, this has nothing to do with the same, with a, a, a similar parable that's in Luke. It's, it's uh, the one in Luke 19 is, is, it sounds the same, but it's dealing with minus, not talents, and it's dealing with a whole different topic. So, so don't mesh the two together. It cracks me up when people say, well, it's the same thing. No, it's not. There's similarities, but there's more dissimilarities than there are similarities. So listen, as he's saying this, I want you to, you know, and especially if you're a Bible marker, mark out where it says to each according to his ability. That's the important thing. Listen, this landowner, or we could even say our Lord, gives us according to our ability. He's going to give us what he knows we can handle, or he's not going to cheat us out of more, you know, and, and give us less than what we can handle. I think that's important. He gave each one, and hey, it would be terrible if a guy could only handle the responsibility of, of one talent, and he dumps five on him. He can't get it done. It would be overwhelming. And some people act like our Lord's that way. Well, you know, he's expecting me to go out and save the whole world. No, he's not. He died for the world, not you died for the world. So he's not gonna give you, listen carefully, he's gonna give you according to your ability, according to what you could do. And likewise, it would be horrible if you could handle five and he only gave you one. You'd be kind of like, well, what am I, this is nothing. And so he gave each, and I think that's an important thing, because here's what it tells me. It was all equal, because people get uptight. Well, how come somebody got five? How come they get five? Sound like a bunch of little kids on the playground. How come they got five and I only got one? I was going to do my Robert Furrow impersonation, but I'll leave it there. Some of you are here Thursday. You know what, I, you know what was coming out of my mouth. So listen, as he's doing this, he says that, and then... It says, immediately he went on a journey. Then, verse 16, then he who received the five talents went out and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. So listen, man, they all got the talent. They all got, I call, equal one did something with it, right? By the way, that's called capitalism. He took the capital he had and used it to make more capital. Now, I, I know some of us think that's a dirty word. It's not a dirty word. You take what you have, you use it, and you do something. By the way, when it says he traded it, it's not like he was a day trader and he did it in an instant, you know, on Wall Street. When it says he traded it, he worked that five talents and he worked it and he made five more talents. And the one who had two, he worked those two and he worked them hard and he made two more. And the one that had one, oh, well, he went and dug a hole and buried it. Kind of says something right there, doesn't it? So he dug a hole and buried it. So the master comes back. By the way, in case you haven't heard, Jesus is coming back. 
I just like to remind us of that. You know, I grew up in a religion as a, as a young, young person. I grew up in the Serbian Orthodox Church, and, and uh, I went with my grandma who spoke very little English, and, and I would go to church with my grandma, and a whole service was in an archaic Serbian language that I don't think anybody understood. And there's chanting and incense and stuff going on, and, and it was all religious. And you know, when I got saved and somebody told me Jesus was coming back, I was pretty ticked off. Because I went to church all those years and no one told me Jesus was coming back? Hey, we owe it to people to tell them Jesus. Now, you don't have to be a doom and gloomer. Oh, doom, Jesus is coming back. But you need to let people know he's coming back. And he's coming back to judge. So listen, the landowner came back. Here he is. He shows up, right? And after a long time, the landowner of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Oh, by the way, it was a long time. It's been a while, right? So he came, and verse uh, 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 20, so he had received, so he who had received five talents came and brought the five talents saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents, and look, I have gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Aren't those beautiful words? You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Those are even more beautiful words, right? And then he who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents, and look, I have gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into uh, the joy of your Lord. Do you notice that both of them got the same commendation? And both of them got a character reference by the Lord, right? A good and faithful servant. That's a good character reference, man. If Jesus is calling you good and faithful, that's a good thing to put on your resume, so listen, man, both of them got the identical thing. Why? Because both of them did something with what the Lord had given them, and they were faithful. Hey, the one who got two wasn't sitting around whining about, well, how come I only got two and he got five, and that's not fair, and, you know, we should be equal, and we should get everything the same. He went and took the two, and he did something with them, just like the one with the five. Listen to what Spurgeon, I love this. Is, here's what Spurgeon says. It is better to be faithful in an infant school than to be unfaithful in a noble class of young men. It is better to be faithful in a hamlet over two or three score of people than to be unfaithful in a great city parish with thousands perishing in consequence. It is better to be faithful in a cottage meeting, speaking of Christ crucified, to half a hundred villagers than to be unfaithful in a great building where thousands congregate. You see, we don't need to get on our eyes on what the Lord has given us. Let's just do and use what he's given us to glorify him and to be faithful with what he's given us. So listen, man, those two, those two heard those great words. Hey, when I die or get raptured, I see Jesus the first time, man. I so want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. And I so want to enter into the joy of my Lord. Hey, I have a lot of fun here. 
I think life should be fun. I don't think it should be a drag. I don't think we should walk around, you know, all sad and, you know, like some people think holiness is equivalent to, you know, frowning and being sad. I think holiness should be joy. I think we should, I want to enjoy the journey to heaven. And so I like to have fun. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? The joy of our Lord. It's going to be joy forever. That's going to be so good. Oh, and then I like the part where he says, you've been faithful in a few things. So you're going to be faithful over, and you're going to be, I'm going to make you ruler over Bisbee. <laughs> That's how I translate that. And some of you go, man, why are you fixated on Bisbee? You know, I just want Bisbee. You can, have, you, can, you can have New York City with any of those, man. I just, I just, I'll just be happy with little old Bisbee. But listen, man, I'm going to give you those things. Then, verse 24, then he who had received one talent came and said, listen carefully to what he does here. Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Wow. Talk about a misconception of his master. And a lot of us have a misconception of God because we don't read our Bibles. We listen to what other people say about him. Hey, we need to be reading our Bibles and we need to be understanding who he is. Do you, I believe right now we live in the greatest time ever. Man, we live in a generation where we have hundreds of teachings at our fingertips. Every time I think about that, that blows my mind. Hey, I know there's a bunch of trash out there also, so you gotta be discerning, but man, we can get so fed and encouraged and strengthened, and and we live in that generation? I've shared with you guys before, I remember, man, when I first got saved, I would get four tapes, four of Chuck Smith going through the Bible, four tapes from a, a ministry in Tucson called Hosanna Tape Landing Library. They would send me four tapes. I would listen to those tapes. I'd put those in an envelope with a dollar, send them back, and I'd get four more. And then I'd send them back and get four more. And it, it takes a long time to go through the Bible that way. And now I have him. I have him with me all the time. I have him on my phone. I got several teachers that I just download their stuff and keep it on my phone all the time. And we live in that time. Are you taking advantage of that? Or are you going and digging a hole and burying stuff? So he goes and digs a hole and he tells him, listen, he tells his God, his ruler, you are, you are a cruel man, bottom line. You're cruel, you're unloving, you're, you're distant, you don't care. I'm interpreting that. So listen to what his Lord says. And then he says, verse five, and I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. I was afraid, hey, Listen this morning, if you don't hear anything else and you're here today and you're not a believer, you need to know something. You don't need to be afraid of God. Jesus came and died for your sins. He came because he loves you and he took your place and he took your sin upon him. Don't have this this uh, misconstrued idea of who God is. Our God is a God who reached down out of heaven to save humanity. We got the greatest God ever. And so listen here, man, this guy's all messed up. So he goes, here you can have what is yours. Verse 26, but his Lord answered and said to him, now listen to his character reference. You wicked and lazy servant. Wow. Good and faithful, wicked and lazy. Woo, right? Huge difference. 
He says, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered. Listen, man, he's not saying that's what he did. He's saying that's what you say about me. And if you knew those things about me, here's what he's saying. If I'm that person, then why didn't you, verse 27, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming you would have received, uh, I would have received back my own with interest. You should have at least got interested with it, but you buried it in the backyard. How many of us, are burying the opportunities that God has given us in our backyard. And I'm not saying, hey, here's what I'm, I'm not saying. The big difference here is not being unfaithful so much and being faithful. The difference here is being faithful and being faithless. The guy had no faith. Every one of us in this room has been unfaithful to God. And if you're going, not me, I would love to talk to you after the service. We've been unfaithful in different ways. We're not perfect humans. So it's not that. It's faithless. It's having no faith, not trusting him one bit. I don't trust you so much. I'm hiding what you gave me. Hey, I want to use what he gave me. And I want to be busy about what he gave me. So when he comes, I won't be shocked. I think one of the worst experiences in the world as a believer is to open up your eyes and Jesus is there and you're going, oh, no. I didn't expect you today. But he's going a little bit further. He's not talking about believers. He's talking about those people who come to church and they're pretending. And I want us to notice something. In the first parable, 50% were posers. It's a high number. In the second parable, 30% are posers, well, 33 and a third percent. So we'll just round it down to 30. 30% are posers, those are high numbers. And you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ignorant. I know there's people here today who just do church. You just do church. You don't love the Lord, you just do church. Either you were raised in it or, or, you know, someone's pushing you or someone's bringing you or someone's dragging you and you just do church. There's no relationship. There's no love for him. Hey, you don't live to serve him. You just show up at church. And that's the one that Jesus is talking about here. You're just going through the motions. So listen to what he says. Therefore, verse 28, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. Now listen, that would blow some people's minds, right? It's so, so unfair. Maybe in your eyes, but not in the Lord's eyes. He says you take it from him. For everyone, verse 29, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he, he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Here's the way I interpret that. You're coming here, and you're pretending to be a Christian. And you don't really have anything. And in that day when you meet him, it's gonna be a face-to-face meeting. And he's gonna know your heart. And even what you thought you had will be taken away from you because you had nothing. Make your election and calling sure. Examine yourself to, be see, to see if you be found in the faith. Hey, and if you're just a person just doing church, man, today is a good day to get out of that. 
It's not too late right now. Today is the day of salvation. Today you can call on his name. Oh, and then Jesus says this, verse 30, this is why he says he's not a believer. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man, Jesus has brought that up several times in this parable. Why, or I'm sorry, in this section, why? Because at the end of the age, he's coming to judge. The first time he came to save, and if you wanna get saved you got to get under the blood of Jesus now because when he comes the second time there's not another chance he's coming to judge and he's going to come and look at what you've done and if you're just a poser you got nothing you got no oil and you got no talent and again I'm not talking about you know talent in our thing because some of you go I do have talent I'm talking about you got nothing and he's going to come and judge you on that I for one I don't get uptight when people challenge my faith. I don't get uptight when people say, what makes you think you're going to heaven? I know I'm going to heaven. Do you know why you're going to heaven? If this morning you're not sure, right now as we're closing, you can make sure. And you can make that decision. Let's stand up and pray.